Luke chapter 11. We sang in one of those hymns from every stormy wind that blows. That final verse concerning prayer says, All there on eagle wings we soar, and sin and sense, sin and sense molest no more. And heaven comes down our souls to great, while glory crowns the mercy seat. Amazing declaration of the power and wonder of prayer. Chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Beloved, I believe this is more than likely the hardest, most difficult instruction concerning prayer that we as God's children need most sincerely and urgently to understand. Because when you speak of the will of God, we speak of something that is oftentimes in our lifetime very mysterious and dark. There could be no better time, I believe, for this passage of Scripture than at this present moment. Not only in the face of our preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Him, who declared he came down from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent him. But also, because of the current situations and circumstances which many of us, by God's divine providence, are presently facing. The tragedies which abound around us, the urgent request for prayers, for people who are suffering. The things that happen in life that are so dark and mysterious to our understanding. Thy will be done. Surpasses all finite understanding. Nothing is so often intimidating, confusing, even sometimes bewildering, yet ever so comforting and encouraging as to the will of God. There is a mixed emotion in this desire to have the will of God be done. Nothing humbles us more nor strengthens our hope and faith in God more than the will of God 
as mysterious and sometimes as dark as it may appear. It intimidates us, it humbles us, and yet it quickly strengthens us and comforts us at the same time. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Christ said, when you pray, pray this. Of all the instructions Christ would give us concerning prayer, this divine petition is the most awe-inspiring and sublime of them all. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, are sublime enough in themselves. But when we pray, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth, that is very awe-inspiring to the child of God. Because we know not the will of God. Paul speaks in Romans 12, and I won't get ahead of myself, of us offering our bodies as living sacrifices that we might know the acceptable will of God, those are things or those are the wills of God that He has revealed to us. That's the known will of God, that we might perform the known will of God. But that which our Lord beseeches us to pray for in our text is the will of God which is far behind our comprehension. Or what can be more mysterious at times and often incomprehensible, yet provide the greatest comfort and encouragement in our darkest hour than a genuine, unfeigned submission to the divine and perfect will of God. Here, dearly beloved, as the Lord's Supper is reserved only for those who are His called, His elect, so too, I believe with all my heart, this prayer, especially this portion of this prayer, is reserved only to God's people because who else could find simple satisfaction, comfort, and peace in the will of God? And yet sometimes, dearly beloved, it's in those darkest hours of our lives that we find the greatest comfort in merely submitting to the will of God, not asking why, not looking for a reason, but simply saying, Thy will be done. Whatever it might be, whatever Thou hast divinely chosen, help me to submit and subject myself to Thy will. Strangely comforts the hearts of God's children. As in heaven, Thy will be done as in heaven. Beloved, immediately when we read these words, just last week, because I've looked at this text even more, it was like a huge mountain in front of me that I could not see the summit of it because it was hid by the clouds. And every time I sought to ascend it, I felt I, I, I didn't gain one inch. It just got bigger and bigger. It's monumental. But with these words, Christ would lay the petitioner Low in the greatest sense of humility, as in heaven. Listen to the words of God this morning. Thy will be done, as in heaven. He would lay the petitioner 
so low in humility while exalting God to the highest. Thy will be done as in heaven. He would have us to set this desire of God's will to be done first in heaven, not upon earth. And that's important for us to understand. Because whenever we look or try to understand or subject, submit ourselves to God's will, it must be according as it is done in heaven, not upon earth, not in the way man feels, not the way man desires, but as it is done in heaven. For who amongst mortal man could ever imagine how perfectly and faultlessly God's will is done in heaven? Why would Christ ask us such a thing? We can't even imagine how God's will is perfectly done in heaven. And yet Christ said, this is how we must look at the will of God. Not as things on earth are done, but as things are done in heaven. Throughout this entire first part of these instructions, Christ would put our hearts and our affections on things in heaven, not on things on earth. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, sanctified be thy name. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Our prayers must begin and find its source and find all its comfort in the things of heaven, not the temporal things of earth. I believe this is why so many Christians struggle in their Christian life because they don't understand prayer. They don't understand the power of it. Martin Luther is right when he said there's a supreme or sovereign power that God has ordained in prayer. And I believe we don't understand or we don't believe prayer to be as sovereign as it is. And we'll see that in a few minutes, but I believe we lack a lot because we don't understand the instructions our Lord has given us here. Who can understand, who can imagine how God's will is perfectly done in heaven, yet Christ would instruct us in our prayers to petition God for nothing less. Man has sinfully sought to corrupt this divine petition. That it's the will of God concerning earthly things. Earthly desires and earthly wishes which must determine His heavenly will. They've reversed it. No, Lord, I expect Your will to do something for me temporarily in this life. Something's happened in my life in this world, and Lord, Your will has to be done here on earth perfectly, not as it is in heaven. You need to do something according to the earthly things. You need to make it right with me. You need to make sure that Your will is in concordance with me and my will. It needs to satisfy me. It needs to pacify me. It needs to meet my will. And Christ says, no, thy will be done as in heaven, then on earth. Man would reverse that role. That's why when things don't happen in this world, world according to man's opinion, man despises and rejects God's will because it opposes their own. 
The believer doesn't start with the earth or his needs or his desires. He starts with the will of God being done as it is in heaven. Oh, beloved, that's very important for us to understand and to comprehend, especially in this day and age in which we live, especially in regards to God's will. Because if we try to understand God's will in accordance to the things done on earth before we do according to the things done in heaven, we're going to be confused, discouraged, distraught, just like those who believe not in Christ. Yet as humbling as it might be to sinful man, it is the doing of God's will on earth as it is in heaven that God demands. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's not as though God is not desirous to comfort us here on earth. It's not as though God isn't good and merciful and kind. No, that's not it at all. As a matter of fact, these words prove that God is good and kind and merciful because his will is always the best. Regardless of what man thinks, God's will is always the best. Regardless of how painful our situations and circumstances might be, regardless if we understand it or not, God's will is always better than our will. So in reality, it is for God's best. But on the other side, God is often also sovereign and says, it's not according to your will and it cannot, it must not be according to your will. It must be according to my will and that is how it is done in heaven and not how it is done on earth. Sinful man foolishly believes he knows what is best for him. And because God's will has often been contrary and opposite, even painful concerning what man will is. They reject, condemn, and even despise God's will. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Beloved, this is not a petition of consent or permission. We're not asking God. We're not consenting or giving God permission that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But, beloved, it's a humble request and submission that the will of God be done on earth. It's a submission. It's a request. Lord, let your will be done on earth. That means in everywhere, in every place, and by every creature. Let your will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Let your will be done. It's not permitting God. It's not bequeathing God. It's not consenting that God can do this. It's a humble subjection to that. Lord, let the world be in subjection to your divine will. But also in this prayer, and even more so, it's a humble desire and longing for the petitioner he who's praying this, that he himself might humbly submit to God's perfect will in his own life as they do so in heaven. So it's not only that his will be done on earth, but particularly, Lord, let your will, let me submit myself to your will here on earth as they submit to your will in heaven. Let me subject myself to your divine will, whatever it might be. 
Beloved, the flesh and blood of its own cannot do that. The depravity of sin itself is selfish and prideful and arrogant and seeks its own. Yet for a true child of God, this is his greatest desire, that I would be able to submit myself to God's will, whatever he might deem best for my life. Heaven came down and stopped my senses, the hymn I just rang. And heaven came down and comforted my soul. The world looks at Christians with that kind of mindset and they say, you're, you're strange, you're morbid, you're not right. How can such a thing be the will of God when it causes so much pain and agony and sorrow? How can it be God's will if it's causing me so much despair? It's strange that in this petition, the Lord doesn't say us to ask to know it. It just says, your will be done. It doesn't ask the reasons why. How many times in our own lives as God's children has God providentially done things in our lives and to this day we still don't know the why of His will? We still not know the reason for the will of God. We just simply submit ourselves to His will. I believe some things in this present life will not be answered until we reach glory. And sometimes God would just have us to quietly, submissively, humbly submit ourselves to His will. These words of instruction on prayer might at first appear to be a little confusing. For is God not omnipotent? Is he not present everywhere in all places? Is he not sovereign? One who, Daniel says in chapter 4, who doeth according to his own will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none stay his hand, or say unto him, What doest thou? Is this not God that can do whatever he wants to? Is it not God who says, I can perform anything I want to? I don't need you to pray for that. I'm God. Why then would Christ himself instruct us to pray that God's will be done if that's true? If God is suffering, <clears throat> God's going to do what he wants to anyway. Doesn't such a prayer seem insignificant? Is the doing of God's will on earth as in heaven dependent upon our acceptance or rejection? Or even upon our prayers? Is that what Christ is saying? God's will can't be done unless we pray for it? If God is sovereign and He can do whatever He wants to and He does and no man can stay His hand, why do we pray such a prayer? Why would Christ instruct us to pray such a prayer? The sovereignty of God does not excuse us nor make null and void such a petition. Listen to me. But God Himself has ordained that His will be done in accordance to such petitions. God has ordained prayer to fulfill His divine purpose. There's so much we don't understand about prayer. So much more we need to learn. This petition, again, is not giving God permission. It's requesting God to help 
the petitioner humbly submit to whatever God's <clears throat> will might be and that the world will submit to his sovereignty. And beloved, I hope and pray that you believe this, but one day they will. They might not appear to be so now. They might be in rebellion against God now, but believe me, the whole world will submit themselves to God. They will submit themselves to his authority. It will happen. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. It's the Christian's desire and longing. <clears throat> it's God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but especially in their own hearts. God forbid that he would allow his will to be determined by what man deems best. Praise to the Lord, the old hymn. One of the verses says, Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? This is such a monumental petition, dearly beloved, and one which we must spend much time in prayer with and meditating over because, again, it is awe-inspiring and sometimes overwhelming. We look into the world today and we see all the tragedy and the <clears throat> chaos and the hectic. We've seen the sinfulness of man. We see the tragedies. We see what sin does to man. We see all these morbid things going on in the world and we wonder how can God allow such a thing. And then we begin to question the will and purpose of God. This is why we pray this. This is why we pray this. And I'm getting there towards the end, but I'm telling you, we don't we underestimate the value and power of prayer. We really do. That's why we don't ask for prayer. We should ask for prayer. We we don't expect it to happen. We pray things and we really actually don't expect it to happen. And because it doesn't happen, we think, well, God's not answering my prayer. God always answers prayer. <clears throat> Just not in accordance to our will, but his. And sometimes God don't answer prayer because we ask not. You have not because you ask not. If we really truly believed in the power of prayer and how God has ordained prayer to fulfill his sovereign purpose, we would be praying oh so more often and fervently than we do now. I will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Our Lord said, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, <clears throat> believing you shall receive. Now listen to those words, all things, Matthew 21, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. All things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing. God himself has placed no limits on prayer. But we do. Now follow me in this because I really want you to understand not only the power of prayer, but the peace and comfort prayer brings a child of God. Please listen this morning 
because I really want us all to comprehend what our Lord is instructing us here concerning the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because if we truly pray right, even though we do not understand or comprehend the will of God at this present moment, we're going to find peace and comfort in submitting ourselves to God's will, whatever that will might be, whether we understand it or not. That is the power of prayer. Prayer is what brings that about. Not contemplating it, not thinking about it, not intellectual knowledge about Scripture and all the books we read on prayer. It's praying with the help of the intercession of the Holy Spirit that whatever happens, your will be done. There I find my peace and my contentment. I'm not looking for answers. I'm just asking God to help me to submit to that. And our Lord is the greatest example in the Garden of Gethsemane when He prayed, Let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but thine. And that's why the Lord would instruct us concerning prayer that we pray such a prayer. Thy will be done. It's not a petition which seeks to change, direct, or even move God to do our will, but that our hearts and minds would be ever subject to His divine will. And again, our Lord teaches us that it's by prayer that our hearts and minds are brought into this submissive spirit. By prayer. Not thinking, not theological discourses, not studying the forefathers. It's by prayer. By prayer. Prayer is so powerful, dearly beloved, that it can take our carnal hearts and desires and longings, what we want, even as strong as they might be, and their strong affections. Prayer is what brings our hearts and our minds as Christians to submit to God's will, no questions asked. And there's where we find peace and contentment. The world always wants an answer from God. They require, they demand an answer from God. And I'm not saying the Christian hasn't often asked God why. Read the psalmist. Often you hear the question of why, but throughout the psalmist, when he's questioning that, at the end of it, he comes to just resting in God's sovereignty and trusting in God. God is my portion forever. He's the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. He settles himself. He rests himself. He finds peace and contentment. And just knowing that God's will is done. God's will will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May I find the peace and contentment and joy and strength and comfort which comes with just resting in your perfect will for my life. Our hearts and minds will never of themselves submit to God's divine will in all things. <clears throat> so Christ says pray. When you pray, pray this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Submit yourself solely to that. 
subject yourself to God's will because that is the only source of peace and joy that you will have in this life when it comes to dark providences in your life. And God chooses not to disclose unto us the reason why. And beloved, God is not obligated to show us. Sometimes he does, but a lot of times he don't. And I believe it's simply because he wants to teach us to be quietly submissive to him. Resting in his perfect will. Can you understand what peace and comfort that would bring us as God's children as we pilgrim through this present world with all the difficulties and trials we're facing to understand the power of this petition and to live in the light of it, that no matter what happens, your will be done. Lord, if it be cross, a cross, if it be afflictions, if it be persecutions, if it be pain, if it be joy, if it be happiness, if it be contentment, whatever it might be, be Lord, help me just to submit to your will. Do you think anything in this world can be done without the will of God? or at least is acknowledging of it, or permitting it, or ordaining it, or decreeing it. Nothing can be done. A bird can't fall from the air without God knowing about it. And we say, and we take comfort in that, that God knows everything. We sang Psalm 139. You know, you know my thoughts from afar. You, you, know, you're, you know my down-sitting, my uprising. I'm everywhere I go. I'm surrounded by your presence. If I go to heaven, I go to hell. And the psalmist takes comfort in that it's a high thought he can't even comprehend it. it's too high for him he says but even in those darkest hours when things happen in this life which are very 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 painful in this life can we still find comfort in this prayer thy will be done as in heaven so on earth you know everything the lord did in this present life <clears throat> he said he did everything for the glory of god and he did everything, he said everything he did pleased the Father. When it came down to suffering on Calvary, when it came down to his pain and agony in Gethsemane before his suffering, when his sweat drops through like blood, when it came down to the realization that he was going to bear the sins of many, and the wrath of his Father would be fallen upon him or put upon him, that he would be made sin for us who knew no sin. Even he himself, for a moment, being man, struggled. And yet, for an example for us, he submitted to the will of God. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. I take great comfort in that. You know why? Because that tells me that when I struggle with knowing or being finding comfort in God's perfect will, that even when I have troubles with it, and sometimes I'm, I struggle with it, it helps me to know that Christ understands the infirmities of my flesh. Because he himself knew that. We're not always quick to submit ourselves to God's perfect will, especially when it's very contrary to the flesh. And yet Christ and these instructions would teach us that's how we find the greatest peace. 
on earth is submitting to God's will as it is done in heaven. You know what's really important about this and all subjects and all truths of God? Too often as Christians, we don't take heed to what we've heard. So we lose it. You remember the seed that was sown on stony ground? Christ said when they heard the word, immediately they shrieked it with gladness and joy. Oh, there it is. It's glad. God's word. Praise God. I love God's word, man. I love it, man. I mean, all things work out together for the good. And cast your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I love it. Immediately received it with gladness and joy, it says. Enduring for a time. Now, that time is not simply days or months. I believe in my own experience that time could be years. I've seen professing believers be endure for a few years. Only in after a few years to see them kind of fade off or wither off. Or, so don't fool yourself with that. Yet because they had no root in themselves... Christ said afterward, when afflictions or persecutions arose for that same word's sake, for the same word that they got immediate joy and gladness from, when that same word, because of that same word they're afflicted or persecuted, it says immediately, there's another immediately, they were offended, they tripped, they stumbled, they fell. Beloved, be not fooled by your first impressions of God's word. For if they're not sown upon good ground, they shall quickly wither away. You'll stumble and fall. We come into the house of God, we hear the word preached, and our hearts are affected. We're like those stony hearts, those stony grounds, and we, we immediately are affected by it. We go out of the house of God with gladness and joy, and then we just leave it at that. We don't give any time meditating and thinking about what God has just spoken to our hearts about, and so it lies on the surface of our hearts, and for a time we endure, and we're thinking God is good, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday roll along, we meet affliction and persecution, and suddenly that first impression's gone. Let me ask you a question, which I've asked myself throughout this last week. How have these instructions of our Lord impacted our own lives? Have we thought about our Father which art in heaven? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Have we given them consideration? Have they changed our prayer lives? In the short time we've heard this. Have they affected us the way we pray? Or are we praying the same as we was three weeks ago? If God is not working effectually in us, dearly beloved, we will lose those first impressions. If it does not find a good ground to be sown in, if we do not give the earnest heed to what we've heard, we'll let it slip. And too often Christians do that. And that's why when we come to times in our lives when we face trials, there's nothing there to comfort us. We get discouraged, saddened, and discomforted. But I would listen to me. Some of us have heard so many sermons, read so many books. If we could live the knowledge of what we read, we'd be godly saints. Yet why is it then our lives prove that we're not listening? We're not listening. 
The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. He got it in hunting, but he don't roast it. He doesn't take time to earnestly think about it, to pray about it, to meditate on it. Beloved, don't we know and realize that our hearts are as bags with holes in them, that we quickly lose those first impressions? If we don't give earnest heed to keep what we've heard? Like meditation and for a psalm, chapter 1 is a wonderful psalm. We love reading it. We love singing about it. But it's a psalmist who meditates day and night in the Word of God. That's diligence. That's labor. We pray over it. We meditate on it. Run it through your minds and your hearts. And through prayer, driving it deeper with inside of our affections so that the Word of God might work effectively in us, efficaciously a wonderful Word in us, changing our lives, our hearts, our desires. And again, I want to emphasize this. For us all, myself included, of all the sermons we've ever heard or preached, of all the books we've ever read, you'd think our lives would be a whole lot different when we meet afflictions and trials in life. And yet it just proves the sad divine truth how often we let things slip. I've seen Christians who've lived 20, 30, 40 years diligently for the Lord and faithfully for the Lord only when they come to the end of this life they seem to have lost all hope Paul says I've finished my course I've fought a good fight I've kept the faith wherefore there is laid up for me from this point on wherefore from this point on there's a crown laid up for me he said I've fought I've finished i kept I kept. Paul speaks about apprehending that which is by which apprehended him. He pressed forward. He fought, not as one beating air. Listen to the words of Paul. Paul had all these great revelations. Why didn't he just kick back in his recliner and enjoy the blessings that God gave him? No, Paul said, I fought even harder. I labored even more than the others. I labored more than... Why, Paul? It was given to you. And Paul said, no, you don't understand. What I have, I have ability to lose. Take more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, run out as a leaky vessel, Hebrews 2 says. What have we done, dearly beloved, with what we have already heard? Have we learned to roast or meditate upon those things we have heard? Have such meditations worked effectively in our hearts and our minds? Have we learned over the past few weeks to pray even more in accordance to God's will than ever before? Have we truly heard? You know, I've amazed this last week with Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The light that shines upon our every footstep is merely a lamp. That word is candle. In scriptures, it's a candle. You know how far a candle goes? When it's dark, it goes a long way, but a candle only shows as far as you make a step. That's how we go with the Word of God. And the light upon our path shines only as far as God allows us to see. 
It's not leaps and bounds. It's not leaps and bounds, dearly beloved. It's not leaps and bounds. It's a steady, well-considered, patient walk with God. Though I walk in afflictions, he shall revive me. He's walking. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's walking. <coughs> That's the Christian life. Not leaps and bounds. Take it a step by step. And everything God gives you, you just, you covet it. You, you embrace it. You draw it within you like, like you're going to lose it. Like, you're, like it's going to slip out of your fingers and you pray over it and you think about it and you meditate upon it until it becomes a vital part of your life and it begins to influence the way that you think, the way that you live, the way that you pray. That's what we must do every time we read, every time we hear the Word of God preached. We must give the more earnest heed to what we've heard. God, Christ, teach us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. Beloved, I, regardless of what men have said about quoting this prayer and how quoting is not the, the main issue of it, it would do us... <laughs> great good if we would learn to just simply pray this prayer a lot. Because in these words, we're reminded of everything a prayer needs to consist of. Give us this day our daily bread. Let us be content with your daily provision for our lives. doesn't mean we have to live in poverty. It's not what he's saying. It's simply, Lord, give us the needs we have every day. Give us what is essential for every day. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who, oh, that's going to be a good one. Forgive us our trust as we forgive others. Oh, that one hasn't been lived up to very much in this generation of non-forgiving Christians. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, they were talking about taking that out of the prayer in the Catholic Church, that part. Because they thought it was unbiblical. It shouldn't be right. Take that out. God don't lead us in it. No, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does it mean by that? Oh, can't wait to get there either. Step by step. Day by day. Take the crumbs from which we get from his table. And covet them and pray over them and meditate on them. Until they begin to affect your lives. And then keep them with all diligence. Amen? And watch and see how the Word of God begins to affect our hearts and our lives. Amen? Thank the Lord for His grace and His mercy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You now, Lord, for this day. We thank You for Thy Word. And Lord, this is most certainly the most difficult part of this petition, for our flesh anyway. Thy will be done. It's not a petition of permission or consent. It's a humble longing and desire that we might submit ourselves to whatever your will might be and submit to it as those in heaven submit to you. Help us to submit to you here on earth. Help us to find the peace and comfort of that in the midst of our darkest hour that, Lord, no matter what happens, God, you're good. And everything that you do is good. 
and you will perfect that which concerneth us, and you perform that, Lord God, for me which I have need of, that all things work together for good to them that are called. Lord, help us, Lord, to understand these things in the light of thy will be done, as in earth, so on earth, as in heaven, so on earth. Guide us now, direct us, we pray. We'll give you the honor and glory for all of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.